Rewinding. Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. Saturdays with Jenny. With Jenny every Saturday from, from 9, 9 to 11 a.m. on Kaya FM 95.9. Well, of course, you are listening to your Afropolitan station. And now, something of a coup, I think, uh, because I managed to get an interview with Ken Follett. Now, he has he is the author of the most astonishing number of books. Um, you look at it and you just think, how on earth does anybody ever get through what he has managed to get through? The best-selling, I mean, the, the, the figures are absolutely extraordinary. He sold over 165 million copies He's written 31 books. Now, I'm not talking about short stories and things like that, but 31 books. They've been sold in over 80 countries and goodness knows how many languages. Over 33, I think it is. And in fact, when I was speaking to him, I said 165 million copies. He said, no, he said, I think it's a bit over that now. So so it's probably closer to 170 million copies. And uh, he has got the most astonishing history. And he turns out these books, I, I can't tell you. But he's most famous for, for, for the rest of the world, uh, most famous collection of books, in fact it's a trilogy of books, uh, was the Kingsbridge series. And Kingsbridge was a fictional little village uh, in England and they decided in the Middle Ages, so from about... Mm, about 1,000 or from about 1,200 on, um, they decided to build a cathedral in a in a tiny little town uh, somewhere rather in uh, in north south east west England, and it is the story. People just loved it to bits. They they loved it. it. Was called the Pillars of the Earth. So what does he do after that? Well, that was years and years ago. So he settles down. He thinks. I said, well, if they did it with Star Wars and if they did it, I'm going to write a prequel. And that's what I'm going to do. So this book, and it is called The Evening and the Morning, is a prequel to the Kingsbridge series. And I need say no more to anyone who's read the series, but listen to a little bit of my interview with Ken Follett. Saturdays with Jenny. Well, welcome to this Pan Books conversation with Ken Follett. I'm Jenny Cruis-Williams. Ken Follett's novels have sold an astonishing 160 million titles in 30 languages worldwide. And probably his best-known title is Pillars of the Earth. And now he's written a prequel to The Pillars of the Earth. And Ken Follett, I honestly feel quite restless. Thank you very much. That's a very nice introduction. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. The two of us have been speaking for a long period of time. And my question is still the same. I am in awe of what you manage to, first of all, come up with, but secondly, to get through. When you told me about the Century uh, Trilogy, I was thinking to myself, how do you condense a century into just three, admittedly, you know, quite big novels? How do you put together World War I? How do you do it? It is just, it's very concise writing. And I'm fascinated by the way, how you actually do it and how you keep the characters actually uh, operating. Well, I, it, in the case of the century, it was very difficult because I had made this decision. I had this idea that I thought was wonderful to tell the story of the 20th century in fiction form. And I really didn't know whether I could do this. And I had a, you know, I had a plan B I thought, okay, I'll work on this for a year. And if at that point I know it's not going to work out, then I'll, I'll have a 
press conference, I'll say to everybody, I'm sorry, I thought I could do this and I'm afraid it turns out to be an impossible task and I will give the money back to the publishers and we'll start, I'll start again on a completely new idea. But as it happened, um, I got into Fall of Giants, which was the first book, and it really yeah. seemed to go marvellously well. But to tell the story of the 20th century in fiction, I had to find a group of characters who somehow or other would be part of all of these great events. And you're quite right, that was tricky. That was quite difficult because I needed to go from the outbreak of the First World War to the Russian Revolution and, and then to the Nazis gaining power in Germany and from that to atomic weapons and all of those things not only had to be included but they had to be really part of the drama. Sometimes when authors attempt something like this like um, Herman Wouk, for example, The Winds of War and War and Remembrance. Two terrific books. But his character is often an observer. You know, he might be on a ship that's in a battle. Um, but I, wanted, I didn't want my characters just to see these great events. I wanted them to be part of them, to be causing them and trying to control them. And you're, so you're right. That was, that was actually technically really quite difficult. Um, in the end, it worked. In all of your novels, you have a very, very strong woman. I mean, women are not playing second fiddle in any, in any of these books from an early stage, right from The Eye of a Needle, for instance. So, so how did that come about? D did you, I mean, I know you were married to a very strong woman, but, but that's not enough, I don't think, um, to, to make you carry this theme through, consciously or unconsciously, and I think it's conscious, in every single thing you write? Uh, it's partly the generation I belong to. I was at university in the late 60s at the time of what, what's now called the second wave of feminism. And to us, of course, us boys at university, the women who were saying these things were the girls that we liked, the, these were the girls we wanted to go out with and, and maybe marry. The, the female heroes of my stories are the kind of women I like. Of course they are. And so, and naturally, th these, you know, I like strong women. I enjoy smart, determined, powerful women. And um, I enjoy their company. Also, you can't really write a story about a cautious and timid person. Yeah. You know, there's no, they, they, they just won't get into trouble. There'd just be no story. So, so these women like Ragnar in the new book, In the Evening and the Morning, Ragnar, who, who is uh, strong-minded and smart and rebels against the constraints that society wants to put on her. Those are the kind of people that you can make up a story about. Well, one of your uh, most remarkable characters was a slave girl, and her name was Blod, and, uh, and she was treated absolutely appallingly. And your heart goes out to her, and she was from Wales, and there must have been some kind of incursion there, and uh, but not necessarily a Viking incursion, I don't think. That's I true. think it must, have, it must have been the English themselves. 
And because they were at war on one side with the Vikings and on the other side with, with the Welsh, who, who have always been stroppy. And so it was, <laughs> it was, you know, and poor Blood wanted to go back to Wales, but there was probably nothing left for her there. But of course, um, people of the time were not all the same in their attitudes to these things. So I think we can see that some people would have been very cruel and heartless and other people not so much. And uh, so Blod experiences both kinds of treatment. She experiences people who feel sorry for her and try to help her. And she experiences people who treat her uh, as less than an animal. And I think that that must, this is where the novelist's imagination must come in because we don't know many details of this kind of mm. thing. But I, 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 I always imagine that given that people are all different, then people are all going to have different attitudes to something like a slave. And, um, uh, but I'll give you an example. I've said that laws often weren't enforced. There was a law that said that you must not kill your slave in anger. What it means to kill a slave but not in anger, I don't know. And if you did, the penalty, the punishment was fasting. Fasting. Fasting generally meant not eating meat. It meant eating, you know, uh, porridge. Uh, and that, but but no meat, and then so so really it was a very feeble law. And when people have no protection, then the cruel people in the world will take advantage of that. You've spoken briefly about Ragnar, who is your wonderful Norman um, noblewoman, who um, comes across to England, and of course is absolutely gobsmacked because there are hardly any stone buildings anywhere. And she came from a much more sophisticated background. And she has to be very, very careful and, uh, and whatever. But we haven't spoken much about Edgar. And you start the book off with an absolutely terrifying scene. And I, anybody listening to this, I'm not spoiling this for you in any way at all. But that wonderful description that you gave of the Viking ships coming up the river or out of the sea and coming in at pace uh, Edgar, a young 18-year-old, I think he was, um, he is on the beach and he is about to, to go out um, to cross the bay. And he sees these ships coming in and he is absolutely appalled. But Edgar is a, is a remarkable character and he really belongs, I think, to the medieval side um, of, of your novel as opposed to the, uh, the Dark Ages side. He's a He's a very, very clever man, and his feet, you can see from the very beginning, you know he's going to have something to do with that cathedral, which has not even been thought of. <laughs> well, you're right. Um, and he is what, in, nowadays, we would call him an early adopter because he's somebody who's interested in the new technology, and he always wants to do things the new way. And, of course, that is, that is typical of clever young people. He's always wanting to do the next thing. Uh, and he's. They're, they're, I often have characters in my stories who are clever with their hands. And it's partly because I'm not. You know, I build a cathedral, I can't build a shelf. Uh, but I have tremendous admiration for people who have that ability. And also for people such as architects or, in the Middle Ages, stonemasons, who could visualise in their imagination a complicated building. Mm -hmm. I find that an amazing ability. And I know one or two architects, and um, you'll talk to them about something, and they can see it. They can draw it, usually. 
uh, they see how things fit together. It's a marvelous skill. So I often have a character like that. You should. There should be characters in novels who are different from the author, shouldn't there? I, <laughs> I generally, you know, if if I pick up a book and the main character turns out to be some kind of writer, I think, oh, heck, I'm not reading this. Because um, I think there's a failure of imagination there. I don't want to read a story about a writer, a story about a builder, a boat builder, or a cathedral builder, or, you know, a politician in the 15th century. Somebody with whom I have very little in common. That that gets me interested. That gets me excited. Um, and so for my own books, I enjoy writing about a character like Edgar, who is in, in many ways very different from myself. Your quintessential cathedral is Notre Dame, is it not? I mean, you're a cathedral junkie, basically. I That's true, yes. I, I, I'm, I never miss a chance to go inside a cathedral and look around. As you're talking, you are very animated about this book. And I think it was a most wonderful challenge for you because nobody has written about the Saxons. Nobody has opened doors and windows to, to a world that we barely knew existed because it was the Dark Ages. And here you are. And, uh, I mean, you've obviously done wonderful research and you've had a great team and, uh, and whatever. Was this a particularly enjoyable novel for you to write? Yes, you're quite right. I enjoyed it enormously. It was new territory for me, and that was exciting. New territory to explore. It, it's it, Relatively little is known about the time because they didn't write much down, and in England they hardly built any stone buildings. Um, one of the great sources of information about the period is the biotapestry. So the, 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 the challenge of finding out about life was, was greater than it normally is in history. Uh, and it was a lot of fun because, um, you know, there was quite a lot for me to make up. If, if nobody knows the answer to the question, <laughs> then I have to make it up. <laughs> Indulge me, because I read the book quickly but carefully. What was the scene, the one scene, that you absolutely loved writing? You didn't have to get up and walk around and think and do anything. You just loved that particular scene. <laughs> okay, well, it's, it's quite a domestic scene, really, but Ragnar arrives in England and she goes to the town where her fiancé lives and she moves into a house close to his. And um, on the first morning, she goes to see him and he's in bed. And she goes into, his, and these are all one-room houses, by the way. So she goes into his house, and there he is in bed. And she's cr they're crazy about one another. When they were doing their courting, they did actually have sex once. And her mother has said to her, don't get into his bed until after the wedding. And she thinks her mother's probably wise about that. She defies her mother a lot, but she kind of has an instinct that says, yeah, maybe that's right. But she's gone into his room and she sits on the bed next to him. And he's looking at her and, and he knows what he wants and she knows what he wants. And the, she says, I'm not going to get into bed with you until after we're married. Well, I... I won't, I won't tell you how it ends. <laughs> I, don't, well, I know. 
but we're just going to keep strong about that. Listen, I think you've written a cracker of a book. I mean, I've got a copy here, Ken. I mean, it's so heavy, um, I could use it for, but it's absolutely fantastic. And when you finish this, when you, you know, the last full stop on this, and you knew you finished the writing and whatever, what the hell did you do? Did you know that you'd written something special? Um, do you know, I, I never... I never feel that until I, I get messages from readers who aren't editors or booksellers or newspaper reviewers. Um, I'm never quite comfortable. I mean, every, everybody loves this book. I've had very nice reactions from people, such very, you know, such as yourself, who say I've, I read it and I loved it. Well, listen, it's been such a fabulous conversation. I could have carried this on for ages and ages. So Ken followed all the best with the prequel to the Kingsbridge trilogy. It's called The Evening and the Morning. Saturdays with Jenny. So The Evening and the Morning, uh, the price, it, it is the prequel to The Pillars of the Earth, a Kingsbridge novel, and the price is around, but it is nearly 700 pages, 525 rand. It's worth every single penny. Saturdays with Jenny. With Jenny every Saturday from, from 9 to 11 a.m. on Kaya FM 95.9. Rewinding. Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. Visit kayafm.co.za for more.